Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. To the living God and be water baptized. How does that happen? Why are people responding? Well, ultimately people are responding because it's supernatural. But they're also responding because this was part of God's plan. So, John the Baptist is a cousin of Jesus. Mary, Jesus' mom, and Elizabeth, John's mom, were cousins. And in the book of Luke, you can read a lot of this on your own. In chapter 1, you get all kinds of details about John the Baptist. But I want you to, to consider some of these details because even before John was conceived, the angel Gabriel appeared to John's dad. His name was Zechariah. And he appeared to him while he was serving as a priest. So listen as I read Luke 1, 8-17. And this will give some context to how does a guy just show up out of nowhere and begin to proclaim people need to turn back to the Lord and they respond. Well, here's the backstory. So now we're going back in time. Imagine music going back, backwards in time, about 25 years to 30 years. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, before God, when his division was on duty, this is John the Baptist's dad, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So he's just doing his job. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. This happens all the time when angels appear in the Bible, and the angel always says, don't be afraid. But every one of us would be afraid. So it's a natural response. Gabriel and the other angels don't seem to recognize that, but I guarantee if an angel shows up at your house, you're going to be afraid. But here's what he said. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and she shall call his name John. So the angel says, I know Elizabeth has been barren. She's going to bear a child, and we're not going to call him Zechariah after his dad. We're going to call him John. Verse 14, And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. So this is talking about John the Baptist now. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And if you remember, that happened when Mary is pregnant with Jesus, comes to visit Elizabeth, pregnant with John the Baptist, and somehow, miraculously, John the Baptist is filled with the Holy Spirit. And he will go before him in the spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of their fathers to the children and the disobedient to wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So John is miraculously filled with the Holy Spirit. His parents knew what happened here when Gabriel spoke to his dad. Eventually, John is born, and then we don't hear anything about John for years and years and years until he enters back into the scene, which brings us 
to the first point, which is prepare the way for the king. So look at verses 1 through 6 again. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, turn, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the regions, we're talking lots of people about the Jordan, were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing sins, their sins. And then he quotes Isaiah here, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. That John is the fulfillment of this prophecy from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. And we don't know the details. We don't know how John came to know this was his calling. We don't know when, at what age, he realized he was going to be set apart like an Old Testament prophet, particularly like the prophet Elijah. And he was going to be out in the wilderness. And then at the right time when Jesus had, um, was about to come into his ministry, John was going to be the one who would go before the king and announce that the king had arrived. And he was there. We get this little tidbit in Luke 1 verse 80 about John. And the child grew and became strong in the spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. So he lived out in the wilderness, probably with a community of devoted um, men and women to the Lord. There's, there's different theories about that. But he waited, and he waited, and he waited, and then in a moment in time, he knew it was his time to go and, and do the ministry that he was called to, which was to herald, to prepare the way for the Lord who had arrived. And why we get these eccentric details, we don't quite know, but it, it makes for an interesting uh, image. So if you, you imagine, it, we, we don't know what he looked like, but I would imagine he was probably a little unkept. He lived out in the wilderness, probably had a beard, might have had longer hair. He's eating these locusts, he's eating his honey, and he is just waiting and seeking the Lord. And then the word gets out and people begin to flock to him. Now, this is probably not your memory verse for the year, but in the book of Leviticus, locusts are actually one of the approved foods according to the Old Testament law. So you can just save this for a trivia someday if you're in a weird trivia contest. Um, let me just read this, this verse from Leviticus. I found this interesting. Uh, Yet among the winged insects that go on all fours, you may eat those that have jointed legs above their feet with which to hop on the ground. Of them you may eat the locust of any kind. So you get a whole variety of locusts. Uh, the bald locust of any kind, the cricket of any kind, and the grasshopper. So it is biblically permissible, according to the Old Testament law, to eat locusts as well. So for whatever reason, John... Uh, like locusts, he ate honey, he's, he's sitting, he's waiting, and then the ministry begins. And so the question is, what was the message? What was centered around the message that he had waited decades to proclaim? That brings us to the second point. Here's the message. Prepare for the king by turning in heart and mind, 
Now pay attention to this, it's a little long. From all sin, moralism, and religious trappings. Prepare for the king by turning in heart and mind from all sin, moralism, and religious trappings. The shorthand for that is found in Matthew 3.2. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Jesus came to earth, He brought heaven with Him. The, the King has come, and the kingdom of heaven is here. And to prepare, we need to turn from our sins. That, that was the message. So how do we prepare? How were they to prepare? They were to turn from sinful things, sinful actions, sinful things like anger, lust, drunkenness, immorality. But they were also to turn from trusting in themselves, from self-righteousness, from, from even their religious heritage they were to turn. And we're going to see that in this passage. But to, to help illustrate, because this can be confusing at times, I brought a, a visual today. If I can get it out of the bag. It is not a bag of locusts. It's actually one of my favorite things in all the world. Martin's Kettle, kettle Cook Chips. I suddenly feel like I'm advertising for them. I get no money for Martin's Kettle Cook Chips. Um, kettle Cook is the key to what makes them so good. So I want you to imagine that this bag of chips that I love dearly represents sin. Whatever sin you want it to represent. And so repentance from it is putting it down and leaving it behind. Walking away from it. So it's not just thinking, I shouldn't do it, or I don't want to do it, but I'm actually going to turn completely from it. Repentance is not, I'm going to turn from it because I know it's not right, I know it's not pleasing to God, but I'm just going to keep it right here, right by me. Look at it occasionally, but I'm not opening, I'm just, just kind of keeping it near. Well, that's not repentance. That's, that's staying near to something that God tells you to turn from. So John the Baptist was proclaiming this water baptism, which was the predecessor to the Christian baptism. It was to symbolize laying it down, walking away from it completely, and being ready to trust and follow Jesus. Now, there was a group of people in the passage, though, that... They look like everybody else. So in the crowd, many of them were under conviction from the Lord, had been given grace by the Lord, and they were really repenting. But some of them, particularly these two groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious ones among them, their repentance was more like this. They were walking to the water to be baptized, but behind their back, they were clinging tight to certain things that show that the repentance wasn't genuine. We're going to see that in a moment. So repentance is a, a real break-off, a real turning point. And for Christians, we're looking back through the lens of the New Testament. We, we come to Jesus through faith and repentance. We're forgiven, we're washed, we're made clean. And then really, in many ways, repentance is a lifelong thing for Christians. We keep, we keep turning back. Lord, set us free. Give us more freedom in certain areas, whether it's it's, it's uh, anger or worry or fear or lust. Whatever it would be, Lord, help me to keep experiencing more and more of the freedom that you 
make possible. So John is calling people, God is holy. You've got to turn away from your sin and trust in the Lord. And look at verse 5 and 6 again. People were responding. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. They were having a genuine encounter with the Lord, owning their sin and turning from it, all preparing for Jesus to come. <clears throat> Which brings us to the third point. Because I think we get turning from um, alcohol abuse, drug use, or sexual immorality, or raging anger. That, that seems really clear. What, what's more subtle, what's more pervasive at times, is, is people that are moral, that trust in themselves, or people that are religious and trust in their religion and not in Jesus. And so John the Baptist is going to have none of that, and he's going to go right for the jugular with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Look at verse 7. So these are two different groups, and we're going to learn a lot about them as we go through the book of Matthew. They were very distinct in their, their beliefs in, in a number of ways, but they unified among um, Christians of, of being um, those who were antagonistic against Christians and against Jesus himself. And so though they, they had very different theological beliefs in certain categories, they were unified in um, really being proud of their religious connections and their ethnic connections to Abraham. And they were very self-righteous, particularly the Pharisees. They, they, um, Jesus later on says, you guys are like whitewashed tombs or you're like a cup that you spend all the time cleaning the outside of, but inside is just rotten and foul. So they loved the, the religious exterior. They loved to, to pray in public. They loved to be thought of as the religious people. But we see throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that they had no compassion or mercy for people. So when Jesus would heal people or free people and it was on the Sabbath, they couldn't rejoice. They couldn't celebrate. They were just so upset at Jesus. Well, John the Baptist is the one who's announcing the way. He's going to go right at him, right out the gate. Look at verse 7 and 8. But, but when he saw the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, we don't quite know why they came. There's some speculation that they wanted to look good with the rest of the people. But John saw right through it, through the Holy Spirit that was in him, and listened to what he said. So he sees them coming. You... Brood of vipers, you're like poisonous snakes. You're all in a, you're, you're slippery and there's venom in your heart. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, God is holy. There's a real judgment coming. And to prepare for that judgment, you don't want to trust in external external things like moralism, like uh, religious things, and you certainly don't want to be enslaved and ensnared to all kinds of sinful things. And then he says to them, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. A genuine encounter with the Lord will produce over time a changed life. 
That's what John was preparing the way for. That's what we know as we look back through um, the lens of the New Testament. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to set prisoners free. Now that fruit of repentance, sometimes it happens inside and you can't see it right away, but it eventually will come out. Sometimes it's really bold and clear and obvious. But if someone has a genuine encounter with the Lord, over time, there will be evidence. And what he's really saying to this group, these religious people, there's zero evidence. There's no spiritual life in you. But here's the good news. Even for these people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, it's not hopeless. If they own their self-righteousness, if they own their arrogance and their pride and turn from it, there can be real freedom. Remember, a large portion of the New Testament is written by a former Pharisee named Paul, and we know him as the Apostle Paul. He, he was brought up in the same tradition of the Pharisees, and he was a rising star. And then Jesus revealed himself to him, and his life was forever changed. So it's not hopeless, but true and genuine repentance for any and all of us comes with ownership that, yes, we do fall short of God's perfect standard and only Jesus is the one who can bridge that gap. Only Jesus is the one who can stand in our place and take the wrath that we all deserve. See, they, they trusted. One of their temptations was to trust in their religious pedigree, their their family tree. Look at verse 9 and 10. John says to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the tree. It's about to be chopped down. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So they were trusting in their religious pedigree, the fact that they could be traced on a family tree the whole way back to Abraham, whom God made a covenant with. Now that may not be the temptation for any of us, but I think the same temptation exists for people. It, it goes more in the form of, well, I grew up in a church. Or I, I know the Bible. I've read the Bible. Or my grandmother reads the Bible all the time. Or I give money to churches and other organizations that are Christian, that are doing good things. Or you can fill in the blank. It's, it's trusting in something that's not Jesus and thinking that will make you right with God. That will not make you right with God. My wife Mary, she's in, in Kids Cove right now, but she has said to our kids over and over again, I've said it on a Sunday before, um, being in a garage doesn't make you a car. It just doesn't. Um, and the, her point is, being raised in a Christian home doesn't make you a Christian. Knowing all the 66 books of the Bible by memory, doesn't make you a Christian. Knowing hundreds of Bible verses doesn't make you a Christian. 
Those things are good. Those things are gifts from the Lord, but they're not the same as turning from your sins and trusting in Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And so if that's you, have you personally trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Not has your husband or your wife, your mom or your dad or your son or your daughter, but have you. See, John the Baptist is preparing the way for Jesus. And he wants us to trust in nothing for salvation but Jesus the King alone. Which brings us to point number four. Prepare for the King by receiving the new life he offers. So throughout the Gospels, Jesus speaks very, very, very highly of John the Baptist. He equates him to Elijah the prophet. He was a godly, holy person. But listen to what John said about himself in comparison to Jesus. Verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance. My, my job's just preparatory. I'm, I'm preparing the way. But he who is coming after me, he is mightier than I. If there could be, a, a, I don't know what the word would be, but the greatest word to, to compare the contrast that John has in mind between himself and the greatness of Jesus. That's what he's trying to get at with this mightier than I. There's me, and then there's Jesus, King, fully God, fully man, innocent in every single way for every moment he walked on this earth. No sinful thoughts. No sinful speech. No sinful actions. And this is what John says about him. Whose sandals I'm not worthy to even carry. Now remember, they lived in a, a, a desert climate. I can't even carry Jesus' dirty, dusty, worn out sandals. I'm not even worthy to do that. Not because he was this bad man, but because Jesus was awesome and holy and mighty. And so he recognized the difference. The difference was massive. And then he says this. My, my job was a baptism of repentance. His job, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. See, when, when Jesus comes, he will immerse you in the Holy Spirit. And the idea of fire there, I believe, is indicating there will be a cleansing. There will be a, a forgiveness. The, the blood will be applied eventually when Jesus dies. And that will allow the Holy Spirit to come inside of you and make you the dwelling place for God Himself. And it will have this cleansing, purifying, forgiving Reality that will happen in increasing measure as you follow Jesus. So we prepare for the King by receiving the new life that He offers. See, John knew he was just part of the process. But the main thing was Jesus. Jesus is coming. You need to call out to Him and put your trust in Him completely. And so we have the advantage of the whole of the New Testament, but we know that when someone calls out to the Lord, they, God's Spirit comes inside of them. 
He makes you new. You become a new creation. He begins to transform you from the inside out. So when John says to the Pharisees, don't trust in Abraham being your descendant. I'm going to tell you right now that God can take these rocks right here and bring spiritual life into them. I mean, that's what happened to you and I if you were a Christian. For some of us, out of nowhere, God shows up and makes us alive. Um, I love the month of January, especially in Indiana, Pennsylvania, not because it's beautiful. It's not. It's dreary. It's cold. It's cloudy, right? I love it because it's the month that God showed up in my life as a college student here in Indiana, Pennsylvania. I was came back a week early from Christmas break, so it was right around this time. I was not a Christian, and I came back a week early to party and get ready for the next semester. And yeah, that sad but true. And then God showed up, and I began to experience great conviction for sin, and eventually the gospel just made sense to me. I knew Jesus died for my sins. And out, like these stones that he's talking about, I was just made alive out of nowhere. And I turned, so I had a lifestyle, and I just, I went the total opposite way. Not 100% perfect, but I knew immediately without anybody telling me I needed to turn from my friends who were partying and using drugs and doing all the things that they were doing and we were doing. I needed to leave it and follow Jesus. It wasn't perfect, but it was definitely a clear and strong turn. All because God's Spirit had come inside of me. That's what you have experienced as well. God does that. So when all these people are beginning to flock to the wilderness, it's because God is drawing them and working. This morning, a number of us were praying in my office before church, and one of our prayers is, Lord, bring revival to IUP again and again. Save students. So those of you who are students, we love that you are here. And, and I love hearing stories of where God is at work on the IUP campus. And God is clearly at work on the IUP campus. And we want to keep praying for that. And for those of you who are students who know the Lord, we want to come by and support you and encourage you and encourage you to be bold. Which brings us to the last point from this section. Uh, point five. We prepare for the king by responding to and proclaiming the truth that Jesus is both Savior and judge. He's both Savior and judge. We learned in Matthew 1, Dave preached the passage that a Savior, He's a Savior. He's going to be God with us and He's going to come to save, to rescue. But we learn here from the words of John, He's also a judge. Look at verse 12. His winnowing fork is in His hand and He will clear the threshing floor and gather His wheat into the barn but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. See, John's using an illustration that would have been familiar to the people. So if you look up on the internet, don't do it now, but you can look it up. A winnowing fork is this kind of, um, kind of looks like a pitchfork, but the things are, are broader. And, and so they go through the, the wheat and they throw it in the air and the, the true grain would fall down and the chaff would be separated from the wheat. And the analogy here is that the believers 
are the grain and the unbelievers are the chaff. And, and King Jesus, risen from the dead, ascended into heaven, one day will come back. And when He comes back, He's coming back as judge. He's coming back as one who is separating the wheat from the chaff. He's coming back with really answering one of the ultimate philosophical questions is what is the destiny of humanity? What, what is the destiny of humans? What happens when we die? Well, the Bible's crystal clear. For those who turn from their sins and trust in Jesus, they're with God forever in heaven. And for those who reject God as Savior and King, they get punished forever in hell. It's, it's one or the other. And see, John the Baptist, he wasn't playing when he came out into the wilderness. He believed this so wholeheartedly. We know he was so strong in his conviction because later in the Bible, he actually gets executed. His, his, it's kind of graphic, but his head gets lopped off um, as he's in prison. Um, so he was fully committed because he knew it was real. He knew it was true. And we know it is real, those of us who have encountered Jesus. And so the first thing is if you don't know Jesus yet, if you're like the chaff, you're just kind of blowing in the wind, and you haven't turned and haven't trusted in Jesus, today's the day you need to do that. We never, ever, ever know what a day will bring. We, we, we have no idea. I mean, we live in the modern age. We have all these modern great conveniences that are wonderful, but we still are not in control at all. In the past few months, um, two tragedies have struck my neighborhood. My neighborhood is all of about 10 houses, so it's not many. The one was a, a few months ago. My neighbor, who was in his 50s, healthy man, went to bed, had a massive heart attack, and died in his sleep. The, the day before, he had no idea what was happening. Then more recently, my next door neighbor, his brother was going to work, he's a truck driver, and he, he, he ended up having an accident and died suddenly. Um, both those men had no idea that that moment was going to be the moment they would meet God face to face. They had no idea. Now, I don't know the spiritual state of either of them. They could have both been believers. But the point is, we just don't know. And so if you are uncertain about your eternal destiny, if you call out to Jesus now, you can be absolutely certain. And then for us, for those of us who know Jesus, who have turned from our sins and trusted in Jesus and experienced this freedom and forgiveness, the appropriate response, we should be jarred by John's words as well, but in a different way. We should want to go tell people about this Savior. If there's a real judgment coming and we know the remedy for it, then we should be bold and compassionate and filled with love and mercy to our friends, our family members, our co-workers, our neighbors, our acquaintances, maybe even total strangers. So in a moment, we're going to sing one song in response. If you know Jesus, I want you to ask Jesus, who is one person this week I can tell about you? 
that doesn't know you yet, that you have put in my path, in my life. And for those of you who don't yet know, Jesus, make yourself real to me. For the Christians, consider this verse. And you you might want to spend time meditating on this this week. Romans 10, verses 14 and 15. How then will they call on Him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Let's all stand. We're going to pray and the band can come up. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would stir us as a church family. You would make yourself real to those who can't quite see you yet, can't quite hear your voice, can't quite understand how much they need you and how much you love them. Pray that would change now. And for those who do know you, Lord, would you speak very specifically, Holy Spirit, to who would be one person that they could share the good news of Jesus with this week? Give them boldness. Give them um, opportunity. And we pray it would even be easy and, and filled with joy and not dread or fear or anxiety. And we will give you all the praise And we want to encounter you as we sing this final song. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. was a wretch I remember who I was I was lost I was blind